On this edition of the Super Hits Podcast, it's Waiting for a Star to Fall by Boy Meets Girl. Let's do it. Hello, friends. Uh, you're listening to the Super Hit Podcast. And today we are talking about Waiting for a Star to Fall by Boy Meets Girl. I am Jamie C, a.k.a. Megamix.com on, I guess, just Twitter. And uh, I'm here with my co-host, Hey everybody, I'm Alan. Slip with five eyes on all the social medias, and I'm uh I don't think that there's a very exciting story about this one, but I am looking very much forward to this one. When you suggested it, I was so jealous. Well, I got you know, I like the song a lot, and uh I just automatically assumed nobody liked it. And uh, you know, we'll kind of go through this and we'll see, but when I when you said that you enjoyed it as well, I got how excited to, just now because I was working on this one late till late last night, and um, you know uh, I was a little worried that uh, I would come out looking like a chump <laughs> when I give it a high rating. So I won't. So that'll be good. Should we jump right into it? It's like the time when I found out that all my other friends liked Phil Collins too. Yes. <laughs> I was like, all right, I can talk about this openly. I thought I was the only one. <laughs> yep. So yes. <laughs> all right, let's do it. Some background. Let's kick it. <laughs> Terrible. I'm all vanilla ice here. Okay, I, Boy Meets Girl. Waiting for a star to fall. A little bit of background on Boy Meets Girl. Seattle natives George Merrill and Shannon Rubicam uh, formed the pop group Boy Meets Girl following their meeting at a wedding that the two were hired to perform at. Uh, according to the duo, and I took this from some source and I didn't write it down, so um, it's from a source, okay? Um, <laughs> this is a professional podcast, everybody. Yes, absolutely. Uh so I'll go with uh, Shannon first. She says, we met at a large Seattle socialite wedding for one of the Boeing daughters of Boeing airplanes. Then we met again later when I went to see George and his singing partner at, at, at the time at a club and thought, wow, they're really good and cute. And to that, I thought, eh, George Merrill, not that cute. Uh-huh. <laughs> I remember seeing the cover album, the cover art for real life. And I was like, it looked very much like the, you remember the Beauty and the Beast TV show? Uh-huh. With, uh, with okay. Linda Hamilton. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I thought he looked like the Beast. So um, <laughs> I didn't, you know, but if she thought she thinks he's cute, good for her. George had this to say. I had been pretty smitten by Shannon when I first saw her at the wedding. It was Susan Boeing of Boeing Companies and all the Seattle musicians at the time were hired to perform some function at the wedding, either performing at the wedding or the after party or something. So what? Like, the Seattle like, music scene in the mid 80s. I was going to say like, like Soundgarden and Nirvana and... <laughs> All played at this reception, and then Boy Meets Girl. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, I was singing in the choir in the loft, and Shannon was singing the solo, so her voice was going throughout the entire church, and I thought, oh, my goodness, where did that voice come from? Shannon uh, continues, we met a year later, ended up joining his duo at the time to make it a trio so we could have extra harmony layers. We played the Seattle club scene again. <laughs> the club scene at the time must have been something. Uh-huh. Um, up and down the coast until we got stone tired of playing clubs and dealing with people who were on their way to being drunk and then well, way, and then well past that line. We ended up moving to Los Angeles after we wrote and recorded a batch of songs and sent tapes out and actually got a response from one of those, of those wildcard tapes we sent out. Their eponymous 1985 debut featured the single Old Girl, but it was the duo's penning of two hits for Whitney Houston that established them as songwriters. And uh, they actually wrote... Uh, George Merrill and Shannon Rubicam, How Will I Know and I Want to Dance with Somebody. 
open parenthesis, who loves me, close parenthesis. <laughs> the latter songs. of which won Grammy for Song of the Year. And I'm sure that we will cover these at some point. Absolutely. Because they are monster jams. I mean, I got to say, writing those two songs, that's a career, right? I, I mean, was going to say, the fact that they kept going after that, they're like, I would have just yeah. been like, I'm done. Exactly. All right. Uh, they also wrote songs um, for others, including Don't Tell Me We Have Nothing and Haunting Me for Denise Williams. And the song I Know You By Heart, which was recorded by Dolly Parton and Smokey Robinson for uh, Parton's 1987 Rainbow album uh, and later covered by Bette Midler on the Beaches soundtrack. So it, it got some jam to it. Uh, the duo also performed backing vocals on uh, Let's Hear It For The Boy. Wow. Off of uh, From Footloose. Uh, Meryl also sang backing vocals on uh, Bette Midler's Some People's Lives album. Uh, Meryl and Rubicam were married, uh, I believe, in and around the recording of their second album, uh, Real Life. Um, while prior to recording that, in 1987, the song, they, they wrote the song Waiting for a Star to Fall, and they offered it up to Whitney Houston. Classic move for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Clive Davis, the CEO of Arista, rejected it. Uh, they then offered it to Belinda Carlisle, who, uh, who hated it. There is a demo version on YouTube of Belinda singing uh, Waiting for a Star to Fall. It sounds brutal it's not good i yes no. i agree i listened to it and it is no good i mean it sounds I mean, like belinda can... carlisle but i mean of course they're you know they, they didn't put a lot of production juice behind it because it's just well, a demo and, but exactly yeah. and, and i mean i would i would say and we're going to talk about this that without the sax solo what is waiting for a start of but <laughs> we'll get there um yeah she sounds wholly uninterested when she's singing so uh, Waiting for a Song to Fall is the second song on the album. It was released as its first single a few months earlier on June 10th, 1988. So they gave it a good run-up to the uh, release of the album, which came out on November 18th, 1988. This, the uh, song itself and, and, and the album, but this song specifically, produced by uh, George Merrill and Arif Martin. The track clocks in at a nice four minutes and 32 seconds. Nice. Uh, on the album, anyway. That's the version I have. Um, I don't know what it says on the single. Maybe you can provide that for me. I'm not looking yeah, at it. Yeah, I'm looking at Discogs right now. 24 versions of this single. The majority, of course, from 1988. Uh, there were a couple of CD singles released in 89 and some 12 inches in the early 90s. Yeah. Uh, I actually only recently, I think uh, late last year, picked up the U.S. version of this mm-hmm. released by RCA Records single 434. Yeah. Uh, the B side is No Apologies, four yes. minutes and 21 seconds. Yeah, there uh, you go. You can pick this up. like uh, be- we're on cinema at the cinema, yeah, be- giving all the run times. Before, uh, before paying shipping, et cetera, this will probably run you about 25 cents to, to grab it. So. Nice. Yeah, there you go. I mean, did it cost 25 cents to make is the question back um. in the day. <laughs> probably not. So they probably still, you know, it's still... They probably costed less than 25 cents each. Uh, according to uh, Shannon Rubicam, uh, we made the demo in, in a garage and offered the song to Whitney's label boss, Clive Davis. He said it wasn't right for her, and he was right. It was too poppy, and she was going R&B. So we decided to record it ourselves. Our label told us that the producer, Arif Martin, was in L.A., so we went to his hotel and sat there really quietly and nervously as he popped on his headphones and paced around the room listening to the song. He took off his headphones and said, this is a hit. I can work with this. George Merrill did the bulk of the instrumentation on this instrumentation on this track. He played bass, piano, synth. He did drum programming. But uh, as I just said uh, a few minutes ago, it's the alto sax solo by the legendary Andy Snitzer that stands out. 
I mean, the dude just belts it out. He flat out wails. We haven't um, we haven't actually covered many songs with saxophone just yet, eh? No, no. I mean, this is this has got this has got the juice. I think New Sensation we had talked about saxophone, and other than that, yes. for for podcasts focusing a lot on eighties, lack yeah. of saxophone so far. So good that this is uh, starting to come up. Um, the Wickeye says it's tenor sax, and as a tenor sax player, <laughs> uh-huh. it's definitely alto. I mean, I would say as a tenor sax master myself. <laughs> yes. Yes. As a holder of a tenor sax in high school, uh-huh. I'll held it. That's what I did. Um, Rubicam, a little bit from her here. In the studio, Arif added multiple layers and musicians. He pushed us to make everything grand and perfect. Then we went to New York, and Andy Snitzer added sax. He's well-known now, but back then he was this kid who'd just come from playing a bar mitzvah. He came to the studio still in his bar mitzvah band uniform and played this incredible solo. That's awesome. Um, who hasn't Andy Snitzer worked with? I mean, you've got Bob James, Scritti Politti, Aretha Franklin, the OJs, Roberta Flack, Pajama Party, Chaka Khan, Debbie Gibson, Martika, Al Green, Rock Voisin. Beautiful. The Rolling Stones, Daryl Hall, Elton John, Paul Simon. The list goes on and on. I gotta say, I'd say this dude is the, is the real sax man. <laughs> Absolutely, right? Yes. According to George Merrill, uh, much of what we did in the garage made it onto the studio version. I played my Juno 6 synthesizer that I still have. Our son Joe played synth too. Our friend Susan Boyd did backing vocals, which gave it such full-throated power. But when we came out of the studio, we knew it still wasn't quite there. We adored Prince. So we looked over his album covers to see who mixed his records and saw the name David Leonard and called him. He mixed the song and in between uh, telling us amazing Prince stories, took the track where it needed to go. So... We worked him in again. Uh huh. I missed him in my last episode, so good for you. Yeah, I, you know, I saw that. I actually was going to work it in as, uh, I actually, when I was writing this yeah, um, and doing my research, uh, before I found this quote from George Merrill, I had him in, who hasn't Andy Snitzer worked with? Well, Prince. Oh, so, there we go. But, yeah. Uh, we went through some of the details on the single uh, that you gave us there. Um, there the single was re-released in 1991, however. Uh, after it appeared as the closing theme in the movie Three Men and a Little Lady. Excellent. The B-sides to this uh, to this uh, release were two songs, The the Three Men Rap and Goodnight Sweetheart Goodnight, a.k.a. Goodnight It's Time to Go, both credited to Steve Gutenberg, Ted Danson, and Tom Selleck. What? Yep. <laughs> so uh-huh. in the movie, they do this rap. I don't know about the song. I think the second is a song from the movie. I think I might have saw this movie like way back in 1991. I don't know. Um, but anyway, they the three men rap is one of the worst things I've ever heard slash seen. It's, <laughs> I would encourage you to go watch it on YouTube. It is horrific. It's, I can't even explain it. Anyway, um, my exposure to uh, Waiting for a Star to Fall was via the 1989 Polytel compilation Hitwave. I am looking I at it right now. I am looking at it right now. I had it on CD. I may have it on vinyl, but yes. Uh, uh, just a classic. I mean, it kicks off with Bad Medicine. It's got two Elton John songs from the same album on it. <laughs> the uh, I love how I think the A side ends with Hands Up by the Ottawa version. Yeah, from eight years earlier. <laughs> deet, deet, deet. That song was popular in Canada. Uh I don't know, right? Uh, Anyway, and it closed out with uh, Don't Know What You Got Till It's Gone, which is awesome. Uh, It also has the, I would say, criminally underrated uh, giant step single, open parenthesis, The World Don't Need, close parenthesis, Another Lover. 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I've, it's a it's a classic compilation for any Canadian kid from the uh, late 80s. Um, it also appeared in a number of compilations. I mean, I'm, I'm talking tons because any kind of soft pop love song one, it's on there. But here's some here's some uh, notable ones that I saw. In the UK, it was on a uh, compilation called Greatest Hits of 89 and also on Now That's What I Call Music 1989, which I believe came out in 1993, but whatever. <laughs> uh, it was on Quality Records' Rock 89. Uh, it was on a compilation called Eternal Love, 18 Classic Love Songs from 1989. <laughs> uh, it was on an RCA compilation called Nipper's Greatest Hits. Um, Nipper, I think, it, being the pooch in the RCA logo. <laughs> It was on a compilation of uh, called Summer's Best Music Collection from Winston Cigarettes. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, just one that I saw that had a nice cover, Sony Music Direct in Canada, put it out in 1995 on a compilation called Sun Jam in 5. Excellent. I wonder if Sun Jam in 5 had Walking on Sunshine on it, but I'm not going to go check. But who knows? Because it's Sun Jam. And there were many, many, many other. I think my favorite one that I've uh, found here is from Sweden, a 1995 compilation called Cramrock 2. Yes. The most beautiful love songs. So That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Cramrock? K-R-A-M. I don't know. I thought it'd be like for some serious cramming. Uh-huh. I feel... <laughs> <laughs> if you're from uh, Sweden, hit us up, uh, superhitspodcast at gmail.com. Tell is us it what... a radio station or is it something else? What is Cramrock, please? Yes. Uh, as mentioned earlier, the song appeared in Three Men and a Little Lady. It was also in the video game Grand Theft Auto episodes from Liberty City. And uh, most recently in a 2022 episode of the Righteous Gemstones TV show. Probably uh, in other places as well, but um, again. Now, then we're just doing bulleted lists. Let's talk about the lyrics, shall we? Please. So, according to an interview with the group posted on Song Facts... Uh, they got the idea for the song when they were at a Whitney Houston concert <laughs> at the Greek theater in Los Angeles. Uh, Shannon Rubicam said, it's a beautiful venue. It's an outdoor kind of amphitheater built on the Greek forum idea. And so it has an open air, no ceiling. Whitney had just finished playing How Will I Know, which of course was the song they wrote for her. Uh, George Merrill said, it was a big night for us. There we are in a crowd of 8,000 people standing on their feet cheering to one of our songs. Shannon said, it was cool. At the end of the, at the end, I looked up at the sky because it was a clear night. The stars were out. And a star just shot across the sky, just right through the middle of the dome. I just quickly jotted down a line, waiting for a star to fall, and stuffed it back in my purse. Can As I- we were driving home, I told George about it and said, I think I'll write a lyric about that. We thought, that's fortuitous. We got the idea at a Whitney concert. We should send it to Clive Davis for Whitney for her next album. So we did. And he sent it back saying it wasn't what they were looking for. So we thought, well, we'll do it ourselves. Cool. So it worked out fine for us to do it. I, I don't believe that story. I don't either. <laughs> like, I don't. I mean, no. the part about sending it to Whitney, obviously. But, like, I was at the concert and I looked in the sky and a, and a star After fell. you played the song we wrote for you and then I saw a shooting star. You know what? Get the fuck out of here. Like, So the lyrics were inspired by, apparently, inspired by seeing a falling star. Uh, but it's pretty standard love song fare, really. I mean... True love is rare, like seeing a falling star, lots of babies, lots of yas, lots mm-hmm. of waitings. Uh-huh. I'd say nothing really groundbreaking here. I did, you know what? I was looking up, because, you know, you get you get to song facts, and you then you scroll down, <laughs> and you see the comments. <laughs> and I thought, I couldn't help myself. It was 1 a.m. last night. I was like, I got I to gotta cut and paste some of these. Um, 
So here are some comments from Song Facts, and I actually have one from Song Meanings as well, so this should be good. Um, Seamus from Bushy Hertfordshire, England wrote, Waiting for a Star to Fall is one of my favorite songs. Every time I hear this, I think of love, love past, and love now. I feel hope and feel hopeful. A truly wonderful song. Oh, it's yes. very nice, Seamus. Yes. Steve from Denver, Colorado wrote, I had a high school sweetheart. Her name was Raylene. I went off to college in California to pursue my dream of pro baseball. <laughs> she stayed in Colorado and got married and had, had a family. Now, 45 later, years later, I am back in Colorado, and we have reconnected as friends. Every time I hear this song, it only makes me want her more now. <laughs> and every word in this song makes me depressed <laughs> because this is how I feel more than ever. But yet, since I truly broke her heart when we were younger, and as much as I tell her I love her more than ever, <laughs> this will never happen. And I'm truly waiting for a star to fall. Holy fuck. Um, so <laughs> before you got to the second part of that, read, read the first two lines of that again. Uh, I had a high school sweetheart. Her name was Raylene. I went off to college in California to pursue my dream of pro baseball. She stayed in Colorado and got married and had a family. Is this American Top 40? Are you Casey Kasem? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That sounds like something that fucking someone would write to him, but except except for the second part. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Jesus. All right. As much as I tell her, I love her now more than ever. <laughs> And then it makes me I depressed. I fall and she comes back into my arms, which probably will never ha happen. I will still be waiting. Oh, all right. Um, yeah. So uh, over on song meanings, uh, Badge YT wrote, I have loved this song since I was at the height of two daisies, but I've only recently really listened to the words. It's great because lyrics are so sad, yet the music is happy. In my opinion, the singer is in love with someone popular who has a lot of love. They feel they should be with them and are willing to wait. And all the while, the love just grows. So what the people are saying, you know, I mean, sometimes we got to bring that in. All music, uh, Johnny Loftus said this about Waiting for a Star to Fall. He said, it's just a classic. Trying to catch your heart is like trying to catch a star. The urgency as it drives toward its course is a clinic for durable songwriting. Sure. So that's the lyrics. I don't know. It's a it's a pop love song. I I I, I just don't know. What, what are your thoughts? Fine. The lyrics don't do anything for me. I'm, I, I mean, I like the chorus. Uh, I like the music itself. The yeah. rest of the words, they could say anything. Like Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they can read a recipe. Yeah, it's the fine. Um, as far as reception goes, mm -hmm. um, not a lot here. Uh, Waiting for a Star to Fall entered the Billboard uh, Hot 100 on September 10th, 1988. So it took a while to get in. It took a couple months. It debuted at 83, uh, right in between Crowded House's Be Better Home Soon, and Will to Power's Say It's Gonna Rain, two songs I've never heard before. That Crowded House song is Better Be Home Soon. What did I say? Be Better Home Soon. Oh my gosh. It's, uh, it, 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 if you heard it, you'd know that one. I don't know the other one. Maybe? Okay. All right. Uh, it peaked at number five on December 17th, 1988. It, number one that week, Chicago's Look Away. Ooh. Which I always felt was like a weird outlier in the, in the number ones, you know? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, oh, here's Chicago. Um, the rest of the top 10 that week um, number two was Poisons Every Rose Has Its Thorn uh, number three Anita's Baker's Giving You the Best That I Got Oh, number four was Bobby Brown's My Prerogative classic <laughs> behind uh, Waiting for a Star to Fall we got Will to Power's Terrible Baby I Love Your Way Freebird Medley Duran Duran's I Don't Want to I Don't Want Your Love Breeze How Can I Fall which is also on the hit wave compilation 
Um, Guns N' Roses, Welcome to the Jungle. Yes. And uh, number 10, Eddie Money's Walk on Water. This, okay, so like seven of the tracks are like these love songs. Yes. And then fucking Welcome to the Jungle. And and, uh, yeah, yeah, and my prerogative kicking in there as well. (laughs) Yeah, like two things just don't fit. But yet they're they're the two best. Uh So there you go. It stayed at number five for three weeks, I believe. Uh, overall, it spent 25 weeks on the Hot 100. Uh, Waiting for a Star to Fall also hit number one on the U.S. Adult Contemporary Chart. Uh, Billboard charges to look at that chart, so I didn't get any details on it. Uh-huh. Uh, it was ranked number 12 uh, on Billboard's year-end Hot 100 for 1989, which is a little surprising, so good for them. Yeah, it's pretty high uh, for a song that didn't hit number 10. one. Yeah, almost hit the top 10 based on essentially September through December. So good for them. Internationally, it hit number nine in the UK, number five in Ireland, and number two here in Canada. It would chart again in the UK in 1991. You know, three men and a little lady. Mm -hmm. Should we talk about this uh, exciting music video? We got a couple to talk about, uh, but yes, please. All right, so I'm going to start with the official music video. You can tell us about the uh, about this other music video. Um, the video for the song, uh, directed by Australian director Claudia Castle, features scenes of Meryl and Rubicam singing on a beach and inside a house. Also featured are scenes of a group of children playing with bubbles. Uh, the children include the cu- couple's young daughter, Hillary. Uh, George Merrill had this to say. He said, for the video, the director really liked the idea of us being a couple. We're still musical partners, but Shannon and I are now married to other people. So the video is like a document of our home life at the time. Our daughter Hillary is in it with her preschool friends. We had to make sitting on the couch interesting. So they filmed us riding a bicycle around the living room, which of course we did all the time, exclamation mark. Um, I just like to say the goal was to make it interesting. Failed. <laughs> it failed. Uh, I wrote, so yeah, it's sepia toned and it's generally boring. Yeah, I mean, so the video that I wanted to talk about when I uh, when I've gone out to like video dance parties, yes, uh, if they play this song, the video that goes with it is actually like a montage of '80s clips and awesome. very famous ones from movies, music videos, commercials, cartoons, everything. So when you would go to the what, what the much music video dance parties? No, this would be oh. like the adult '80s dance parties in Toronto. <laughs> oh, I thought I thought back yeah. in the day. Yeah. So this is a new clip. Uh, I I don't know how new the video is, but if you go to YouTube and put in "Waiting for a Star to Fall," you don't even have to put in '80s. Like this will come up as one of the top hits. But if you put in '80s, you know, history or something, it will show it. Uh, that video is like a ten. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, okay. I had not actually seen or remembered the original video, mm-hmm. and I was hugely disappointed when I uh, it's really bad when I watched this video. So we'll get to it when we talk about ratings. But uh, yeah, the bike riding is yeah. It's just I, like fuck around in your yard and, and by the beach, when and they get scared of the wave. Yeah, I'm just like what? It's what are you doing? Like you you've been in the water the whole part. Like you're in the water, you know. Other times in the video, why are you scared of the wave getting on your feet now? Yeah. I just, I, I don't like it at all. It's washed out. It's boring. Um, I will check out that other clip afterwards because yeah. that sounds good. And uh, I, we will one day touch upon much music video dance parties, folks. <laughs> uh, we will expand on those hope, probably when we get to a classic dance or hip hop video from the early 90s because uh, those things were awesome. And I will leave uh, clips for both video or links to both videos on our uh, the show notes for this one, everybody. Right. So in case you don't want to, go to YouTube yourself and find it. 
Let's talk about covers and samples very quickly. Yep. Very quickly. Um, who sampled uh, says that this has been sampled in 10 different songs. Um, one is an EDM version by Cabin Crew, which is terrible. Um, George Merrill actually re-recorded his vocals on this version, uh, <laughs> but it's still bad. Surprisingly, it charted in a number of countries in 2005. This is the one that reached number four in the UK. Oh, this okay. version by Cabin Crew. It was higher than the original release, which hit number nine. So I apologize. Um, at the time, there was another remix of the song in 2005 by a group called Sunset Strippers. This version is also quite bad, and it charted in the UK at number three. Jesus. <laughs> so bad. The site also lists two covers, one by someone called Archie the Cockroach. It's an acoustic <laughs> cover. It's fine. Uh-huh. I don't know. Um, you can hear George Merrill playing versions of acoustic uh, and on piano on YouTube. There's probably plenty of people who do covers of this, but nothing really substantial that I could find. Okay. So let's, uh, let's talk ratings. The video. We know you didn't like it. What's your rating? So the 80s compilation video is a 10. Mm-hmm. This music video, I'm going to give it a 2. Yes. It's, we, I mean, we've already said it. It's bad. Um, there's nothing to it. I just feel like they had a camera and they were like, well, we can't go anywhere. We're stuck at the house by the beach. So yeah. let's just have you do things and then we'll yeah. make a video out of it. So 2. Yeah. I concur. 2 out of 10. I said so boring. They are, yeah, they're, they're so kooky running from waves and riding bikes indoors. Um, the dancing's brutal. The video looks washed out. Uh, where are the falling stars, honestly? Uh-huh. I mean, you could have had just a, you know, again, this is an adult contemporary song. I, I didn't have high expectations, uh, but it's still not good. So two out of ten for me as well. What about the song itself? I'm going to give it, I'm debating between two numbers. I'm going to give mm-hmm. it the lower. I'm going to give it a seven. Okay. I was thinking eight, but I'm mm-hmm. going to give it a seven. I really like the song. I hadn't, like, I've always known it. It's always been a part of, you know, my mm-hmm. life. I've known it existed, etc. But it was one of those for, for the longest time I didn't hear a lot of it. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not played typically at 80s nights that I went to in the 90s when they would play kind of the top, you know, like the Madonnas, the Michael Jacksons. Yes. They wouldn't throw in Boy Meets Girl no. uh, in there. It's it's kind of become more of a... Uh, the 80s nights I go to now are more like new wave, nostalgia, guilty pleasures. Yeah, things kind that of people things. would know right away. Yeah, so they throw this one and I'm like, fuck, yeah, like, I remember this. This is a great song. So that's uh, how I enjoy it. I'm going to give it a seven. So my question, uh, and it's not the question you think, but it's a question that we'll probably get more as we do 80s tracks. Was this on one of your 80s mixes? It was not. In in, uh, in university? No, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, there were 50 tapes, so I can't remember yes. everything, but I am reasonably confident that this did not make it onto one of the uh, compilations. Just, I mean, this is about as late in the 80s as you can, not as late in the 80s as you can get, but it's in the the back, you know, quarter, so maybe... You know, it didn't quite have that feel, right? Yeah, and, um, and to answer the other question you're dying to know, I have not seen Boy You've not Girl. seen them live, no. no. Yeah, so just so anybody's wondering, uh, Alan and our friend Lauren in uh, in university in like, what, 97, 96, 97? Yeah. Made uh, a series of, of 80s mixes that you carried around in one of those cassette briefcases. Yes, we had 50 of them when it was all said and done. We were like, let's make 80s mixes and give them to our friends, and we're going to put every 80s song on a tape. What a dumb idea. 
But now, we got, keep we got... in mind, for those of you who don't know, I mean, back in the late 90s, there was like an 80s resurgence. Yes. So you guys were kind of at the cutting edge of that trend. <laughs> he was probably more than I was, but sure. Cutting edge. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, the song is an 8 out of 10. I'm a big fan of this crap. Uh, you know, total adult contemporary, you know, pop, you know, fluff, but I love it. Uh, you know, I had that hit wave compilation. It was right in my wheelhouse when I was like 11 years old or 12 years old. It's stuck. The sax solo is killer. Uh, the song has a big sexy hook. So thumbs up from me, eight out of 10. Excellent. Well, if you want to tell us what you think of this, hit us up again at super hits cast on twitter at super hits podcast on instagram super hits podcast at gmail.com and if there are opportunities for you to leave us messages or voicemails on anywhere that you hear us try it out and i'll see if i can find it but would love to share your opinions or of course if we got anything wrong and uh if you have any requests so maybe they just send you a, a a seven inch yeah so it could be in your you know send your seven inches and uh and we'll cover them Please, actually, at our uh, we're right now uh, Super Hits Podcast. If you type it out on Google, it's one of the first hits, but it's at your website, which is right now megamix.com.com. Yeah. Still uh, working on getting our, getting us a thing. We need a place for it. So but eventually, I, I am actually going to put a list of uh, want list for records. So uh, You know what? Let me get on that this week. All right. Sounds good, buddy. So, like, next week, because we're recording this, like, a weekend. So <laughs> I get two to, to do it. Um, awesome. And I don't know what we're going to cover next, but we are going to bring on some guests for the next episode. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And uh, I guess we'll see you when we see you. Bye, friends.